This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Podcast. December 4th, at one politician's home, he's a county commissioner, eight shots fired into his home. A week later, December 11th, 12 bullets fired into the home of another Democratic county commissioner. Then on January 3rd, it was a state representative, a Democratic state representative named Linda Lopez in New Mexico. On January 3rd, shots rang out at her house. Three bullets went through her daughter's bedroom as her 10-year-old daughter was inside that bedroom asleep. Well, folks, welcome to the Wild West. Wednesday morning, failed Republican candidate Solomon Pena, the mastermind behind six shootings at the homes of Democratic officials in New Mexico, made his first appearance in court. Now, to use the term mastermind when referring to Pena is a gross overstatement because he and his ragtag band of MAGA election deniers left an obvious trail of breadcrumbs that led the feds right to their doorstep. Pena was a convicted felon when he ran and lost a state legislator seat in the year 2022. An attack on an elected official is an attack on democracy, whoever that elected official is. Democrat or Republican. Now, just to put things into perspective, in 2022, the FBI investigated 7,500 threats against lawmakers. That's up 90% from the year 2017. So how do threats against lawmakers go up 90% in just four years? Well, here's the answer. All roads lead back to Trump and the violence that he and his MAGA cult have wholeheartedly embraced. So internationally this week has also seen some serious upheaval. A happy times for a family in Ukraine, celebrating birthdays and making memories in their cheerful yellow kitchen. But this is that kitchen now, its wall blown off the building by missiles allegedly fired by Russia into the apartment complex in Dnipro. 44 people have been confirmed dead, one of them is the father of that birthday girl. Putin is now targeting civilians in Ukraine, blowing up crowded apartment buildings and continuing a reign of terror that has lapsed into sadism. Earlier this month, there was talk of the two sides coming to a compromise, but no more. Also in Ukraine, a helicopter crashed near a kindergarten in the Kiev region, killing 14 people, including the interior minister and injuring 25, including children. President Zelensky said in a taped message played for patrons attending the World Economic Forum in Davos, and quote, the tragedies are outpacing life. And joining the uber-rich at Davos were Joe Manchin and his best gal pal, Kristen Sinema. It's an opportunity for us as, as a country to look back and say, is this partisanship serving us? I would posit to you that it's not. And so while some would say that there were reluctant folks working in Congress in the last two years, I would actually say that that was the basis for the productivity for some incredible achievements that made a difference for the American people in the last two years. And we still don't agree on getting rid of the filibuster. That's correct. Now, Cinema dressed in an outfit that one reporter called her wolf in sheep's clothing costume, appeared on stage for a panel with Manchin and high-fived him as they both agreed to help the global elites by pledging to not reform the filibuster. And what Cinema and Manchin are doing at this forum 
is auditioning for corporate donations mm. for power players in that room and essentially saying without us you might actually have the American people deciding on things and that won't be very good for you. Lita McCarthy, and I use that term loosely, has added several more of his former enemies to the House Oversight Committee and the Judiciary. Yes, lucky Lauren Boebert, Scott Perry, Byron Donalds, and the radical freshman from Florida, Paulina Luna. They were all added to oversight joining Marjorie Taylor Greene and Paul Gosar, who were both stripped of their assignments back in 2021 because they made such outrageously racist statements that not even Republicans wanted them on their committees. But not Kevin McCarthy. The worse you are, the more likely he is to embrace you. Recently, someone said that they were going to uh, rape and kill uh, my children, uh, and, and they were using the language that Kevin McCarthy was using. So there is a cost uh, to all of this. What does he say when you tell him that? He doesn't care. He he wants to focus on you know carrying out uh, the vengeance uh, that he has promised uh, in this corrupt uh, bargain. Uh, he won't even stop and talk to me when I have tried uh, to talk to him. He uh, has promised that he's going to kick me, Adam Schiff, and Ilhan Omar off committees. And he has, as we've seen, he's put Marjorie Taylor Greene, Paul Gosar, and uh, George Santos on the committees. In addition, three who called themselves Never Kevins, that's Matt Gates, Andy Biggs, and Chip Roy, will all keep serving on the Judiciary Committee, led by chairman and everyone's least favorite wrestling coach, Jim Jordan. How do you think they got to keep those assignments? Well, the answer is simple. They made a deal with the devil. Apparently, in McCarthy's world, the only way you earn his respect is to fuck him over. By the way, little George Santos has been assigned to not one, but two House committees. The Committee on Small Business and the Committee on Science, Space and Technology. So yeah, it's going to be a tough few years. Moving on. Y'all know who George Santos is, right? With his creepy ass. If y'all don't know who he is, he's the new Republican congressman who found, who we found out, lied about his entire life. He made up a whole career as a businessman. He made up that his family was Jewish and his mom was a victim of 9-11. Ew. Ew. Do you know how much you have to lie to be known as the lying congressman? <laughs> lie all day but when you ask them who is the liar they're like this guy if you're looking for a new year's do-over sunday marks the beginning of the chinese lunar new year this is the year of the rabbit and for the first time in three years chinese officials are letting folks travel from the cities into the rural regions to celebrate with family and friends but the real question is at what cost the rural areas in China have been somewhat spared from the disastrous effects of COVID-19 that have crippled the rest of the country. Now, a study at Peking University found that 900 million of China's 1.4 billion people had been infected with the coronavirus as of January 11th. But then, as COVID cases exploded in the weeks after restrictions were lifted, the government stopped providing daily case counts. 
In an update early this week, China said that it had recorded almost 60,000 COVID-related deaths since December 8th of 2022. That's 60,000 deaths in one month. I mean, God help us. Now you'd think after 84,000 people plus died in Florida of the virus, that Governor Ron DeSantis would be particularly cautious when dealing with COVID-19, especially in a state so populated by senior citizens. Also the privilege to be able to actually sign for the vaccines from FedEx. Look, it's a single dose. You take it one time, you don't have to worry about it. Florida, to be at almost 50% statewide, that's much better than almost uh, probably 45 or 46 other states. And um, we're going to give them more because we want to want the shots to go in the arms. Uh, I'm announcing uh, a petition with the Supreme Court of Florida to impanel a statewide grand jury to investigate any and all wrongdoing in Florida with respect to COVID-19 vaccines. The benefit is minuscule, uh, but as Joe Latipo and other studies have shown, you know, there is a risk for doing it. So why can't our medical establishment acknowledge that? Why the deception? As part of his tough guy act, Ron is gearing up to cut all COVID restriction, outbreak or not. The fact is, about 15 million Floridians are totally vaccinated. That's over 70%. So maybe, I mean, maybe Ron is feeling lucky. In 2021, Florida was the first state in the country to threaten businesses with fines if they required workers to get the COVID-19 vaccine. Those measures pitted DeSantis in Florida against the federal government over President Biden's efforts to get the country's workforce inoculated, a standoff that helped boost the Republican governor's popularity amongst conservatives. Being able to live your life, being able to breathe uh, the fresh air uh, is something that should basically be a civil right. Uh, you should not have to have any of these mask requirements imposed on you. Yes, Florida will not do it, of course, from the state. And we never did a mask mandate from the state. Some of the local governments did it. We came in and kneecapped them. Now, as DeSantis considers running for the presidency, he is reinstigating that battle. DeSantis in December successfully lobbied the Florida Supreme Court to impanel a grand jury. For what? Well, to investigate the development, the distribution, and the promotion of the vaccine. I mean, seriously folks, scratch your head and say what the fuck? His plan is to separate himself from Trump, who of course still considers the vaccine one of his key accomplishments, by disavowing the vaccine altogether. I mean, I guess, fuck the vaccine. We don't want it. Florida was the first state to encourage no vaccine for children or men under the age of 40 because of, and I quote, the negative side effects, which, I'm sorry, I think a bigger negative would be to die. But whatever, Ron. I mean, he's on a crusade to prove that he's the biggest, fattest fucking cultural warrior currently on the circuit. It's like the political version of the WWE. And FYI, while Ron may act tough, he himself happens to be both vaxxed and boosted. So in truth, he's a fucking coward who would rather kill his constituents than protect them. And now, cyber criminals beware. Justice Department agents and prosecutors working in partnership 
with the Treasury Department and French law enforcement have disrupted Bitslada, a China-based cryptocurrency exchange notorious for laundering criminal proceeds from the dark net. And last night, agents of the FBI arrested Bitslado's founder, Anatoly if you've been thinking that using your crypto to make purchases on the dark web keeps you anonymous, well, guess again. The feds are now saying, in some cases, it's actually easier to track crypto than it is to track cash. Tuesday, the Justice Department arrested a Russian national who was operating a crypto trading platform called Bitslato offshore in China. The feds lured the fake crypto king to Miami and then arrested him as he exited his plane. He is accused of various crimes, including laundering over $700 million. The fact that the platform accepted very little in the way of personally identifying information from its users made it appealing to criminals and an easy mark for the feds. Matt Slap, head of CPAC, big family values, conservative guy, married to a woman, they have five children together, took one of my dad's campaign staffers out for drinks when he was helping my dad on the campaign trail, took one of my dad's staffers out for drinks. The staffer had been chauffeuring Matt around, all excited, I'll go to drinks, this guy's big in conservative politics, it's going to help my career. And when the staffer was dropping Matt off at his hotel. Former Senate candidate Herschel Walker's son Christian is about to tear apart GOP donor and activist Matt Schlapp for how he treated his father's campaign staffers. Matt reached over, inappropriately grabbed the staffer, but here's the kicker. The staffer is a man married to a woman! Now, CPAC chairman Matt Schlapp was accused of unwanted sexual advances on a young male staff member of the Herschel Walker campaign. Now, of course, Schlapp's attorney has denied the allegations and said that the complaint is totally false. But according to sources, this isn't the first time that Schlapp has been accused of such behavior. I mean, I guess he decided to give the guy a little slap on the ass. And one should know it's Schlapp's wife, Mercedes, is perhaps the most vocal anti-LGBTQ plus critic since Anita Bryant. We will watch this story for developments and file this pit under shut the fuck up. But early this week, our friend, our old friend, Rudy Kaludi, drunken Giuliani, went ahead and threw Trump under the short bus when he told reporters that Trump once advised him to take top secret files home. What's real concerning to me is how justice is applied and is it applied equally? Why do you raid President Trump? My concern is how there's such a discrepancy in how former President Trump was treated by raiding Mar-a-Lago, by getting the security cameras, by taking pictures of documents on the, on the floor, by going through Melania's closet. And speaking of Trump, he is appealing his ban from Facebook, claiming that Trump's rhetoric caused the January 6th insurrection. Facebook, aka now known as Meta, supposedly banned Trump for life. Well, we'll see about that. Because in the meantime, I got a very special mention last week on Truth Social. Yay, Michael. And again, the irony of the title, Truth Social, does not escape me. Anyway, here's what Donald had to say, and I quote, Until now, I always thought that lawyers had a very special and revered place in our country. 
but not anymore, exclamation mark. It all began with the lawyer from hell, Michael Cohen, whose office was viciously raided, all in capitals, by the fake Bureau of Investigation, FBI, early one morning, comma, and whose files and just about everything else was taken from him on a case unrelated to me. Not too long thereafter, and being very brave, he screamed, I represent President Trump. I'll tell you anything, but please leave me alone, exclamation mark. Michael Cohn has made many statements to the House, as I understand it, and the Senate. He put out a statement talking about a project which was essentially, I guess, more or less of an option that we were looking at in Moscow. Everybody knew about it. It was written about in newspapers. It was a well-known project. It was during uh, the early part of 16, and I guess even before that. It lasted a short period of time. I didn't do the project. I decided not to do the project, so I didn't do it. So we're not talking about doing a project. We're talking about not doing a project. Michael Cohn, what he's doing is he was convicted, I guess. Uh, you'll have to put it into legal terms. But he was convicted with a fairly long-term sentence on things totally unrelated to the Trump Organization, having to do with mortgages and having to do with uh, cheating the IRS, perhaps. A lot of different things. I don't know exactly, but uh, he was convicted of various things unrelated to us. Now, Trump's version of these events is as flawed and fucked up as just about everything else that comes out of his mouth. Now, if you'd like to know the truth, refer to either of my two books or the dozens written by other journalists and insiders who all say Trump is just a fucking liar. But he's not wrong about one thing. Yes, I cooperated and testified before eight congressional committees. And yes, provided documentation and testimony to both the New York District Attorney and the New York Attorney General. Now why? Because I felt it was my job to protect the country from the likes of Donald or anyone like him. And guess what, Donald? I'll do it again in a fucking heartbeat. So how are you looking at all of this? I mean, on the one hand, let's start with Alvin Bragg calling Michael Cohen in to testify about Stormy Daniels. Does it surprise you that the dust is being blown off that investigation, given how many other seemingly high-priority targets that are on the deck as far as investigations and potential indictments? So if we remember the history there with that office, they had this full-blown investigation into Trump that ended with a prosecutor leaving because the prosecutor really wanted to bring the case and real angst about in the office that they weren't going to go forward after doing all this work. Now, here they are all this time later bringing Michael Cohen back in. And it's hard to believe that they're bringing Cohen back in just to sort of kick the tires. Yeah. You, they probably have a pretty good idea of what Michael Cohen knows, and they're trying to use him in some sort of way to build something. It's just, he's a very high profile target. Whenever he goes in, it brings attention to the investigation, something that prosecutors usually don't want. Sometimes they do want that public attention, but they've brought Cohen in here now, I believe for at least the second time, and 
it, it, it shows something and it shows a level of activity on an investigation into the Stormy Daniels payment, which was which was made all the way back in 2016. So, you know, the- well, you're you're, su- you're suggesting opaquely, I will say, my friend, that maybe this is to pressure some other part of Trump world into doing something. The person who is serving five months on Rikers is Alan Weisselberg, a key figure in the Trump organization who for a long time people thought was going to get further pressured to flip on Trump. He hasn't as yet. Could this be that bid to get Weisselberg to flip and, and basically spill so. the tea on Trump? I don't think so, because I think he's he's already been sentenced and he's he's gone away. And I don't think they would bring him back to charge him more. I, I think they probably charge him as much as they could. And now for the main event. It is my great pleasure and honor to have a real American hero on our show. I'd like to welcome Officer Harry Dunn of the Washington Capitol Police. Dunn is a 13-year veteran of the force, and he's been a member of the U.S. Capitol Police First Responders Unit since 2009. Dunn valiantly protected Congress on the day of the bloody January 6th insurrection. Dunn and several of his colleagues were some of the first to testify before the January 6th committee, and they remained a powerful presence throughout the historic hearings. Now, earlier this year, President Biden awarded Dunn the Presidential Citizens Medal, a high honor for a humble hero. And if you want to hear about how humble this man is, let's go now to my conversation. All right, so Harry Dunn, it is an absolute pleasure to have you on our show today. And let me start by saying congratulations on being presented the Presidential Citizens Medal. Personally, I'd like to get one. So, Joe, if you're listening, right, uh, hello. <laughs> right. And by the way, let, let me also say it's very well deserved. Thank you. Thank you. Listen, you deserve it, my friend. You've been on a very long, strange trip, not too dissimilar, I hate to say it, from mine, which is a fucking nightmare. Um, I mean, that doesn't end with receiving that honor. But what a journey. So let's go back to the beginning, if you would. Tell us a bit about January 6th of 2020. Were you expecting trouble that day? Well, first of all, glad to be here with you, man. I, it's, it's good to be with you. I uh, always respect a lot of the things that you have to say. I, I see you on um, a lot of the programs, Nicole Wallace, uh, you know, I think very highly of her thing. And it's good to be on with you. You know, it's you always have a lot to offer a, a, a hell of a unique perspective. So um, and I'm also thankful for you just being able to uh, just tell the truth um, about some things. I um, I, I looked up what the definition of I don't know how to pronounce the mea, mea culpa, I, the, just the definition of it, the acknowledgement of one's fault. Or, or error. I love that, you know, just because that's what we're just seeking the acknowledgement of the truth and about what was wrong about error. So that was my little spiel. It's also, by the way, it's also, by the way, my initials. I, I know. Just so yeah, you know. Yeah. I, I like that. That's so, that's <laughs> how, you know, how cool is that, you know? Um, so I think it's, yeah. it's completely fitting. So appreciate you and, you know, great to talk with you. But um, to go back to that day, we're expecting trouble. You know, one thing that I, I talked about so much about January 6th. And about our job as just Capitol Police officers is our job is to provide people the opportunity to protest whatever peacefully because that's within their rights. So 
I don't care what you're protesting. Um, we've seen it all before. Uh, so we were expecting maybe a little bit of civil, civil disobedience, keyword civil. Um, so a couple of arrests, you know, people, that's their choice. We, we've arrested people who um, did not abide by the laws uh, to protest. Um, so that's kind of what I was expecting, just as a regular frontline officer um, of that day. You know, we've seen, uh, we saw a couple little bulletins, you know, not bullet, like Instagram post or Snapchat post. Hey, we're storming the Capitol today. I'm like, whatever, y'all not coming in here. Like, <laughs> that's not happening. And um, so, no, I wasn't expecting violence on, on the scale that we had it. So No, not at all, huh? Because the reason that I asked that question is I saw an article in Rolling Stone magazine by Tim Dickinson. And the article is, Stop the Steel founder tipped off Paul Gosar to the violence that was going to be had on January 6th. And this, you know, he was a right winger, the top aide for Ali Alexander. He warned Gosar, I think you and your staff should leave. That's amazing to me. And, you know, I'm... Obviously, I'm aware on how qualified not just Metropolitan Police, Capitol Police, our Secret Service, FBI, all, all of our law enforcement. They, they knew what was going on because they saw what was taking place at the hotel, not just the Trump Hotel in DC yeah. on the 5th, but also the other location that they were, that the Proud Boys, the Oath Keepers that they all met at. They clearly knew that there was some violent shit that was going to be happening. And yet, I feel as if though nothing was done, forget about just to protect the Capitol as a structure, but those of you that actually work at the Capitol. You know, at the end of the day, I worked in the Capitol in 1987 and 1988. Right. I worked wow, with, okay. I worked for Congressman Joe Moakley. I was at American University attending college. I had put in an application for an assistant legislative assistant, and I went and I started working there in the um in the Capitol. Wow. Didn't know that. And I had my I had my little pass, and it was interesting because my pass said sergeant at arms. And I don't know, maybe that was just a mistake, but I was able to go anywhere that I wanted. <laughs> I think they made a mistake, but it, it was what it was. What it was. Yeah, yeah. All right, and I never said anything, so it gave me full access to the place. But what I thought was really amazing is I had gotten an opportunity to meet so many Capitol Police, even when I was coming in to testify uh, to the various committees. Now, people only think that I testified to the House Oversight Committee, the one that you all saw live. I testified Eight additional times. Oh, I in know. The skiffs. I know. I saw. When you, I know. I know right. when you came up there. I know. <laughs> right. You would, of course, you would know. But my point is, they should have done more to protect those of you that are working in order to keep the capital safe and to keep the people's house fully protected. But they didn't do that. You ever think about why? You know, how that happened? Know, that's one of the, the things that I think about with the um the January 6th committee. Like, while I'm so appreciative of the work and the, the stuff that they did uncover, there's so many uh, questions that are left unanswered. You know, obviously, there were failures that day, whether it be communication, um, dissemination of information, whatever. 
some things went wrong and uh, there's not really a definitive answer on what it was, you know, we, at least in the congressional record, at least. And I, I wish that they would have done a little bit more digging down deep in that, you know, seeing the stuff that even just from the, the, the stuff that's floating around on Twitter and the internet, this, these, these memos. And, and, and if you look at our, our former chief, chief son, who has his book out, he's, he's telling a lot of those things. And those things I think should be addressed or at least acknowledged because like I said, it's not just enough to put the people responsible for committing those acts in jail or, you know, wherever you want to put them, but also to, to make sure that if the ball was dropped somewhere to fix that, to make sure that doesn't happen again, it may not be anything criminal or, you know, maybe negligent or an oversight. Those oversights can't happen again. So we need to make sure those are addressed. So when I say we, I mean, us America as a country like this, we got to fix that. We got to fix it. And you can't you can't fix it without acknowledging that it happened in the first place. So I wish they would do a little bit more over what they would have done a little more oversight on that. Uh, the, 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 the failures of um, communication in the law enforcement community. You think it was only that or do you think that someone like Trump? Or his, let's just say, inner circle, that they knew that this was going to happen. Look, we know Roger Stone knew what was happening. We know that Steve Bannon knew what was happening. I mean, this stupid son of a bitch fucking talked about it on his on his podcast. He talked about it. And Roger Stone out there bragging, you know, and so on. But interestingly enough... For 187 minutes, the guy disappears. There's no call within which to back you guys up. Remember, and the reason I brought up about the different times that I've been there, going back from 87 and 88 all the way to my congressional testimony, is because there's really not that many of you. How many people are actually in the Capitol Police? Well, it is. We got got a pretty big force. Actually, what happened is on that day, there weren't that many of us there. You know, it was... Well, how many? How many? How many in the entire force? Eighteen hundred officers or so, but that's spread out through a whole, okay. pretty, you know, a huge campus, and you know, throughout this uh, the jurisdiction of the Capitol Police, which isn't just the U.S. Capitol, you know. Right, and how many were actually there at the Capitol on January sixth? I'd be speculating on that number. I mean, it felt like it was just twenty of us, <laughs> something <laughs> but, like yeah, that, but, right? But I mean, but I mean, it was, it was more than that. Um, but uh, I think let's our, even our chief, say I think our chief in, the, in his book said we were outnumbered fifty-eight to one. Um, that's the point I was gonna. Yeah. That's the point I was gonna raise, Harry. It makes no difference, right? Because you're not a you're not a little guy. I mean, you're yeah. a pretty big fella, right? Six, seven. And these, <laughs> yeah, these people didn't give a shit. You know, they didn't look at you as law. They didn't look at you as a police officer, Capitol police officer, a big fella, six seven. They they looked at you as an obstacle, and their feeling was very similar to you know a wolf pack. They were going to yeah, you may have knocked one guy out, but while you're swinging at him, someone's hitting you from behind. Kind of like what happened to you know Michael Fanone and to some of the others. And the fact that there wasn't enough individuals and the 187 minutes took place that he was enjoying this watching it on his television and of course lying about it you know like i said my hat's off to you Thanks. you know for everything that you did for making sure that 
you know, our elected officials, some of whom probably didn't deserve your help, right? Like Paul Gosart, like Lauren Boebert, like um, Marjorie Taylor Greene. These individuals, and I'm not saying that they deserve to get hurt. However, they are part of that far alt-right these, yeah. you know, these MAGA lawmakers, right? They, they are part of it, and they were in contact with the folks like Ali Alexander and the Stop the Steal movement. They knew that the shit was outside, what was happening. People scaling the walls like, you know, like they're in a movie. I mean, that's really what it looked like to me, yeah. you know, when I was watching it in total horror. So I could only imagine what was going, you know, through your head. The, the that day, all I was really cons- concerned about was surviving and making sure our coworkers, my coworkers, the person next to me that I was fighting next to, went home to their family, went home safely. You know, we got a lot of brave men and women that were out there fighting their ass off. You know, to use a fo- to use a fo- to use a football analogy, uh, we we left it all on the field. You know, everybody gave everything they had, and you know, it was enough. But to the point about, you know, the specific members and everything like that, the thing about doing our job is, you know, obviously some the ultimate accountability for a politician is at the ballot box. Um, so if people still uh, elect these people into office, it represents it, it represents what they want. And that is America. And it, it, we may not agree with it. It's, it fucking sucks. To put it bluntly, but these people are electing people who they think will best represent them. So that us a portion of America, give it a smaller portion, you know, for, I'm encouraged that there are more good people out there than bad. But these people are representing people that think like them, you know, because they're, they're, they're electing them to office. And that's 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 the that's the thing about democracy. That's how it works. It, it sucks. But people are allowed to have these but, but yes, when it comes to violence and that there's no room for that. There's no room for that. Yeah, we can have dissenting, you know, opinions and everything like that. But that what we saw on January 6th, man, and what you saw in Brazil, that, that shit can't happen, man. It, and it's it's terrible that it does happen. Uh, but it's part of our country and it fucking sucks. Did you play? Did you play college ball? I played at uh, James Madison University with a 2004 uh, national champions. So. Yeah. Yeah. And I bet you were an offensive, you were an offensive lineman, tackle, weren't you? Offensive tackle. Real, got uh-huh. real fast hands, yep. man. <laughs> yeah. What, what were you, what were you like, number 96? No, or six, like that? 69, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I bet you were. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When, when I went, when I was at law school, I spent a lot of time. A couple of guys were living with me. They played, um, they played for Michigan State. And, um, I got a chance, even as a non-matriculating student, <laughs> to hang out at the Duffy Doherty building. And that was under Coach Pearl. Oh, wow. So I ran all the, yeah, I ran all the drills. Meanwhile, at the time I was what? I'm 5'11, 5'11 and a half. At the time I was about 200. And these guys are 6'7, right? Make you look like a little fella. 305, 305, 310. Man, I got thrown around like a rag doll, <laughs> but I do have to say, uh, it's, People don't realize how hard being a college ball player is in any sport, yeah. but especially football. Yeah. But look, and that's, and I bring that up, of course, again, because these people were there to do damage. They were ready, willing, and able. They brought, they brought bear spray, you know, they brought zip ties, they brought 
bats and sticks and so on. And I don't care how big you are. You know, as they always said, get them by the knees, mm-hmm. right? Any one of these guys hit you across the knee. I don't care how big you are. Yeah. You take the guy's legs out. <clears throat> you take the guy's legs out. And it's it that sort of disrespect for law enforcement should never exist, not just in the capital, but all across America. Agreed. There's a remember the olden days, you see the movies that a guy would walk the streets, he'd have the shield, and he was respected. Today, there's too many people that see that shield as like a target. And that's exactly the way that these guys so everything that they're getting, these four hundred and fifty that were prosecuted, yeah. they each and every one of them deserve yeah. exactly what they're what they're getting. And you, my brother, you deserve that presidential citizens medal thank you thanks man like i said if the next time you see the president and you tell him don't forget about mike cohen <laughs> i appreciate i appreciate you on I'll that see what I can so do, let me then yeah 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 that's a yeah, take care take care of a friend <laughs> so let me then let me ask you this then were you surprised that so many maga republicans who supposedly allege that they back the blue and support our troops had turned on the police, literally protecting the Capitol and themselves that day? And do you think that the attackers were out of their minds? I mean, cult members who drank the Trump Kool-Aid and felt justified beating police and trespassing and damaging our Capitol. I mean, what was the general vibe of the crowd that day? I, I, I When I testified, I, I testified these individuals like like possessed zombies. Um, there was nothing that they weren't, you couldn't reason with these individuals. They had already made their minds up on what they were doing. Um, on January 6th, they told us, they were telling us, that's why, one of the reasons why, to jump around real quick, that's why it's so frustrating with the, um, the process of which these, these, the accountability is happening because they told us on January 6th, they were there because Donald Trump sent them. Like, so, you know, on January 6th, on January 7th, we knew you know, who organized it, who orchestrated. They were telling us while they were attacking us and beating our heads in. Um, So they told us that. And yes, they felt emboldened because the most powerful person on the planet told them to do so. You know, think about the backing. And, you know, if somebody gives you their blessing to go do something, if you got the most, if you're the, you're the president and I told you to do it, tell them the president sent you like, like when I was at the White, like when I was at the White House uh, last week, my daughter got a a, a school a, a, a note from the president said, "Please excuse her from school." Like, <laughs> it can't get much better than that. Like, you know. So yeah, it's a sense of emboldenment and entitlement. They thought they were right. So it, it's it's insane. But and to the other point about you know the back to blue crowd and stuff like that, that's just a damn slogan, and they just say it to fundraise and you know make money. That you know, show me what your actions, not not a slogan on a on a T-shirt or something like that. You know, that, yeah, it sounds cool. Back to blue. And it, it's a sound bite. And show me your actions and not a slogan, you know. Yeah, because like I said, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, right? Paul Gosar, who I fucking despise. I, I mean, honestly, I think he's one of the worst pieces of shit that we have representing this country. And it makes us look so weak and stupid in the eyes of the world. Well, I have a, I when have, you I have, have people a, like this. I got a neutral, I have to have a, a neutral opinion 
about the members that I'm sworn to protect, you know, so I got a very neutral opinion yeah, well, about everybody. Well, that's all right, because it's it, well, good, because that's my opinion. Not you. So, <laughs> you know, right. And and so the fact of the matter is that they knew that this was going on. And if they're going to make the statements that they backed the blue, right, then back the blue, as you say, you know, d- your words mean absolutely nothing. And now they're all saying, well, you know, as a direct result, we're going to need uh, security, you know, our lives were in jeopardy. It's interesting that the same people that are asking for it, not one of them, for example, when I was testifying, I had to drive to DC to testify each and every time. I couldn't take the train. Yeah. I put myself in jeopardy. So now I'm on the train. Who knows who's on there? Maybe some, one of these MAGA fools. Maybe by the time I get off and I'm at Union Station and I'm waiting for a cab, I get hit across the back of the head with a steel pipe or worse. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is the problem. They don't care about anyone except for themselves. They only care about their power and they care about getting reelected so they can keep their power. They're just, it's, it's truly, it's, it's disgraceful. So let me then move on and ask you this, because after the attack, how did you and the other officers cope with the reality that you had just been attacked by your fellow Americans? And especially once some of the members of Congress the ones that you protected, began to deny the severity and intent of the riots. I mean, how do you keep from losing your mind? Well, one of the things that police officers do just in general, um, I guess, which is kind of make, you know, some of us that have spoken out an enigma, they, they keep to themselves. And that's why one of the things that I've been preaching out is mental health. And they keep quiet about it. I mean, sure, we have quiet conversations, you know, here and there in passing. Um, about you know we'll be like you know and this is some bullshit they and that and we leave and people leave it at that so a lot of individuals they deal with the 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 trauma and the suffering that day in in quiet and uh that's just how they deal with it and they wake up and it's business as usual going to do their job that's why I'm so proud to work with such a strong group of men and women because we still get up like people ask me when did you go back to work on January 7th Five hours after I left mm-hmm. on the sixth, like, what do you mean? Like, uh, I had we got to go to work tomorrow, and so many of my coworkers did the exact same thing. But you know, it's frustrating. But we realize, you know, what what can you what can we really do? Because, like I said earlier, the ultimate accountability is at the ballot box, and um, our job is to not necessarily pick who's there, but to protect the the will of the American people, even if we disagree with it. Um, so we try to stay very professional, uh, but but in a in a personal sense, it's frustrating. And um, but you got to come to the realization, Mike. Man, this this is this is kind of like who we are as a country. We're split, and it's you know some people don't care about the truth, and some people only want the truth, and they pick and choose when it's convenient for them when they want to hear the truth. So. It, it's just where we are, and it fucking sucks, to put it bluntly. Yeah. Well, look, you know, there's, I don't know about you, but I know as a direct result of my journey, I know that I suffer from the classic case of uh, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And I would probably imagine that you and every single one of the Capitol Police officers, rightfully so, are experiencing the same, you know, psychiatric disorder that... I, that I do, um, every single day, you know, and 
24-7, even when I'm sleeping, you know, and, you know, they say that the PTSD, right, the clinical um, definition for it, it's a psychiatric disorder that may occur in people who have experienced or witnessed a traumatic event, series of events, or set of circumstances. We did. We did. Now, you know, many people will say, yeah, but everybody experiences some sort of a traumatic event in their life. There's a line. And, you know, yes, everybody is different and some people have a lower threshold. But your experience, and I'm going to throw mine into it as well, especially the second time, the unconstitutional remand, when they threw my ass into a freezer for three hours, I felt like my teeth were going to fall out of my mouth. That's how cold I was, you know, in, in this, in this cell that was like 40 degrees. But they say that people with PTSD have intense, disturbing thoughts and feelings related to their experience that last long after the traumatic event has ended. Like I said, I'm already out longer than I was in, but I can't get past it. Yeah. I can't sleep through a night. I hear keys rattling. It makes me shake. Lights, you know, um, bright lights because they would flash a flashlight in your eye. Every 30 minutes while you're sleeping with one of those mega wattage type of lights yeah. to make you jump so that they can make sure that you're still alive. Do you have those same intense, disturbing thoughts and feelings? Have you, you have gone back to work. So when you're there, what's going through your head? What's going through your heart? You know, uh, the things that help me get through that is uh, a lot of therapy, man. You know, and I've been a, a huge proponent of people getting help. And like you said, major a lot of people will experience some kind of stressful disorder or a, a traumatic experience. Yeah. And like you said, there's some people handle it better than others. But th in the beginning, it was tough. You go back to work. And I mean, we went back to work for a couple months and there were windows that were still broken weeks after, you know, maybe a month, up to a month or so after. The, the windows were still broken. You know, you could see uh, where there's fire extinguishers and the pepper sprays uh, stained the, the ground. And there were blood drippings on the concrete that it took a while to get up. You got boarded up windows. I mean, of, of the U.S. Capitol, like, like we just said earlier, think about that. that of the U.S. Capitol, there's boarded up windows. And there's this big, giant fence with barbed wire surrounding the entire... U.S. Capitol grounds, and you just, we walking into like, it's like a militarized zone. Um, and it, 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 it sucks, but you, it's hard to ever forget it. Um, but that's part of my mission to make sure nobody ever forgets that shit. And I know exactly how, I know exactly how you're feeling, which is why I wrote my two books. And it's why I go out there and I do the things that I do every single day, including the creation of this podcast, because I don't want anyone to ever experience what I experienced at the hands of a wannabe autocrat and his lapdog, Bill Barr, right? The attorney general, when they weaponized the Department of Justice to go against their critics. That's, that's very much like this insurrection, it's unfucking American. And end of story. Yeah. So you see, so you are seeing therapy. You're going for therapy. I haven't started it yet. You know, and I'll tell you a funny story. I, I spoke to this 
therapist, and he specializes specifically in PTSD. Mostly his clientele are, you know, former veterans, Afghanistan, Iraq, and so on, who saw some obviously very ugly things, and they just can't get it. And I'm sure like the same way I experience it, you experience it, loud noises, lights, flashing lights, um, even some television shows that I'm watching. You know, it triggers an automatic response. Hell, seeing a fucking mag- I, seeing a MAGA hat, seeing somebody in a MAGA hat, you know, that is yeah, a trigger. I had that I had that issue. You know, I had that issue with a guy in the airport when I was going to go down to Florida to visit my parents. This ass hat wearing the MAGA starts screaming at me and so on, you know, while I'm standing online to go through the check-in. I mean, it was, you know, they don't realize what it does to your nervous yeah. system. But I went, I went to his office and I, I went up and I opened the, the door and there were a whole bunch of people sitting in the office and it said, you know, um, Department of, uh, Psychiatry because it's affiliated to a hospital. And I opened up the door and I could not physically put my leg over the, uh, over the, the door line and enter. I just couldn't do it. It was like my, my heart started racing, my my ears like clogged up as if I was underwater, and I just turned around and I left. And he's a really decent man. And he calls me up and he said to me, I you know, where are you? I was just I said, I have to be honest with you, I couldn't cross the threshold in. I saw those gigantic words and it freaked me out. And he goes, You really need to speak to me. You really need to see somebody because PTSD is real. And well, that's what I was going to ask you. I was going to ask you, man. Like you said, you haven't gone. Have you tried since then? I mean, you know, that shit is helpful, man. I'm telling you. And whether it's, whether yeah, it's that person, I know I, whether I know it's one I person, have... or you got to keep, you got to, it's fucking mental health is health, man. And, you know, we, we got to take care of our minds just like we take care of our bodies, man. Yeah, I try to, you know, I, I try to do it and I try to use this podcast as a way of the venting. Absolutely. I know that, I know, I know that there are probably techniques that they're teaching you and all, uh, especially I don't know, to be honest with you, I don't know how you go back to that property and you stand there after seeing and experiencing everything that you did. I walked past the Trump Tower the other day. And it's the first time that I walked past the front doors in four years. And I had such an uneasy feeling about the building, about the people that are working, everything. So I, like I said, well, it's if a little I was bit wearing different. a hat right that, now, I would take it off to you. I feel like it's a little bit different, man. You know, and I'm not downplaying your experience at all because that shit, man, you, you went through, man. But... Like I, I testified before the January 6th committee and I said something to the effect of democracy is bigger than any one person or any one party. Um, You got to fight for, you have to fight for it. And me leaving my job in my mind symbolizes that they won. Like this shit's worth fighting. For. I'm, and I'm not letting, amen. I'm not letting I'm these with, fuckers I am win, with man. you. You know, I'm not letting I am with win. You. I'm not quitting. Like I'm still here. I'm still fighting yeah. and I'm still doing my job. I'm proud of what I did on January 6th. I'm proud of my coworkers and what their fight that they did on January 6th. And 
You know, the people who stormed and, uh, you know, uh, tarnished the Capitol, y'all should be offended. Y'all should be the ones quitting. Y'all should be the ones renouncing your American citizenship because you shit it on this country. And I'm proud of what I did. And I'm going to keep on going back every single day. Yeah, it's hard, but I'm proud of it. I'm proud of the, what we did and it's worth it. Yeah. And I have to be honest with you. I, I feel exactly the same. So many people say to me, you know, as more and more investigations keep opening up and so on, they keep, why, why are you doing it? Why are you, why are you cooperating? Nobody did a goddamn thing for you. You went to fucking prison for another guy getting his fucking pecker pulled by a porn star. The rest of it was bullshit made up, right? And you've lost your law license. I lost my money. I lost my, my respect. I didn't lose my family. Right. But at the end of the day, I lost so much, but I keep going back and providing more and more. And they asked me why I said, same thing that you did, because this country is worth it. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's and I feel exactly the same way you do. So, I, you know, which brings me to my question. I wonder, you know, were you political before the insurrection at all? And are you political now? Yeah, I mean, I, you're um, definitely political now. Yeah, I, I have my views about, obviously I do, but I just think a lot of that comes with growth and maturity. Like, you know, you get a little older in your life and you start caring about things that affect you. Like, you know, as a younger kid, I didn't care about Social Security and Medicaid, but it's, I'm going to need it eventually. So let me start caring <laughs> about it. Let me start paying attention to that kind of stuff or, you know, so I think it just had an evolution had to do with some maturity to just becoming mature. And also you're surrounded by these people with these different issues. I mean, you know, you're, you're in, it's what I do. I, I'm around this 24 seven. Well, at, well, I'm at work at least in my work hours. And, but it's, we need people to be engaged and care and know what's going on. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I wouldn't have cared about a classified document, whether Biden or Trump, you know, I didn't, care. but now I'm, you know, what's going on with this? You need to be, people need to be engaged. Um, I prefer people to be educated instead of opinionated. Um, and I feel like that's the way you need to be. We need to care about our countries. Like, I, I, I yes, I, I am now. I, I care about even the down ballot elections in my local community. Those, that shit matters. And people want to complain about, you know, I was, I was at a bar, not to go figure, we're talking politics at a bar. And I was this guy was complaining about his biggest concern in this country was immigration. And then I was like, do you know who you voted for? And do you know where that person's stance is on the immigration and stuff? I don't even know my congressman's name. I'm like, so what do you right. mean you don't? Like, huh? All right, just start somewhere. And people don't even care. So many people have that mentality that they don't, they just don't care. They've lost hope. And, and, and to be frank, I, I get losing hope a little bit because it hasn't like, this country has showed its ass in a bad way. Um, so I guess it's not really, but it's worth fighting for it. And that, that's the point that I'm making. It's worth fighting for. It's worth, it's worth it. Um, so yeah, I am, I'm, I'm political. Uh, I am, I, I care about a lot of issues and you should. Down, down the road, because you are thankfully getting not just notoriety, but respect for what you did that disgraceful day would you ever run for politics yourself would yeah, you ever give it so a shot funny. it's funny man a lot of people like even on my twitter like but i said you need to run for something you know i 
I, I wouldn't put it. Uh, no, yeah, I would. I, I like being a. I, I like using my voice, right? And I'm going to say the way I feel. Um, and if people like what I have to say or agree with it, then I'm I'm more than happy to keep saying it. Um, I'm very happy with my congressman now. To be frank, is Congressman Jamie Raskin. And uh, I like to. Oh, uh, Jamie's the best. I, I love him. He's my congressman. Jamie's the best. So I, I, I couldn't. He's I the couldn't best. be happier. Like he's the best, and uh, I wish him well on his uh his Me road too. to recovery. Um, from this, I texted. I texted him a, a couple of days ago. Yeah. you know, wishing him exactly the same thing. He's a really good man. I bumped into him again uh, not too long ago at MSNBC, leaving yeah. the Coles um, stage, and you know, we were sitting, we were talking. He's just really good people. He's a good man. And you know what? He's a great I, man. So yeah. you know, yeah, sure. Would I would I consider it? Sure. Would, do I have aspirations to? Nah, not really. Would I consider it? Yeah, I absolutely would. Um, but yeah, well, yeah, but I, I'm happy with the, who's representing me now in Congress, in Congressman Jamie Raskin. Yeah, good man. So let me ask you this then, because you're still working at the Capitol, and again, I just want to dive back into because like I was watching a television show. And, you know, the other day, um, it's, it's really amazing. It's called Echo 3. Uh, have you seen it? No, it's I'm, I'm not fantastic. It. It's, yeah, it's on Apple TV. It's called Echo 3. I think okay. it's done by the same folks that did the Hurt Locker. Oh, it's okay. that sort of genre. It's amazing about special forces yeah, yeah, team yeah. and yada, yada. And this one woman, she's put into a prison environment and it's in Venezuela and Colombia. And so, I have to tell you, when I watch it, I get chest pains. And I went out as because, you know, I spent 51 days in solitary confinement. And, you know, there's a feeling when you're by yourself that solitary confinement plays with your head 24-7, 51 days. Not an easy task. It is rough. You know, and I'll I tell you, it, it, it's really, really rough. My question to you is, do you think that the insurrectionists still in Congress have any remorse for their actions uh, in around the 6th? That's a good question. Um, I, I'll put it like this. I, I think that the people that are making public statements about downplaying what happened that day. They're making public statements about it are doing so to save face. Um, you know, I think about it. Uh, I think that um, Speaker McCarthy, um, at the time when he was leader McCarthy, he said that he spoke to the president and the president um, bears responsibility. But there's also been reports that Trump has said that he, I don't take it, it's not my fault. You know, he, so there. So I think p- privately, I think a lot of these individuals are they didn't know that they they know that they were wrong, and whether that become from the people that are, I mean, look at look at the uh, the, the the host on uh, on Fox News. They were texting how bad it was on January on hey he's got to stop this we this is bad we, this is bad we can't have this. Sean Hannity, Laura Ingram, and they, they were they were talk they were texting privately how bad it was, and then it, it, literally the day that. The four of us officers, uh, Sergeant Gunnell, Danny Hodges, Mike Fanone, and myself testified. Laura Ingram went on to mock us on her show later that night and give us um, 
awards, you know, mocking awards like best political performance or best exaggeration of a story. Like literally the day we testified and then they had the nerve to be texting uh, Mark Meadows about how bad it was that day. So they say anything publicly to, um, like I said, appease their base. Uh, but they know inside. And you know what? That's that's one of the reasons I'm continuing to speak out, because like I, I know deep in my heart, I'm following my conscience and following my heart and I'm doing what I believe is right. And I can live with myself and I can sleep well at night. And, you know, at the end of their life, they're going to be like, yo, I was really full of shit. And I won't be I, I won't be able to say that. Are you are you able to sleep well at night? Because my conscience is clear, sure. But I, but but as far as worried about the health of this country, that kind of keeps me up. Um, you know, it's a lot of things that always go on my mind. Um, a lot of things that I'm passionate about. And uh it's it weighs heavy on my heart. Um, but but that's the thing, like that's another thing. But I'm coming back to therapy real quick. It helps me. Like I'm able to uh, detach for a while and get myself centered and focused and be able to be able to sleep at night. You know, it, it, it's worth it, though. Yeah, I may have to try this therapy thing. Do that shit, I'm, man. I'm, I'm lucky if I you, dude, you know I'm, I'm I'm not I'm not joking. If I sleep three three and a half hours a night, I went to sleep last night at midnight. And I got up at exactly 2.58 in the morning. And I go back to sleep. And I do that every day. You can see I'm fucking tweeting and doing all my shit on, cause I'm, I'm bored yeah. and I'm watching television and seeing what's going on. It's, I, I think I've seen every single show <laughs> on streaming. I, I mean, it's, it's terrible. Hey, dude, because, we go, I'm gonna get you, know, you the therapy. We go, and you gotta tell, we gotta tell Nicole Wallace about it. Cause Nicole is always telling me, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm, she's, she's so amazed by how I, uh, I, I promote mental health. And I'm, that's going to be my biggest accomplishment. I'm going to get you into fucking therapy, man. <laughs> <laughs> right? So, look, you and some of your fellow officers were some of the first people to speak with the January 6th committee. If you would, enlighten my my listeners here. Tell us what that process was like for you and what happened to you afterward. I mean, suddenly, literally overnight, snap the fingers, you become a public figure. And it, it's a lot to take in. People don't understand. I get it. I walk on the street. I go to a restaurant. There are people who love me. Thank God it's a lot more than the people here in New York yeah. that hate me. Yeah. But when I get the haters, I had a guy on 63rd Street, stopped his BMW, stopped in the middle of the street while it was on. He wanted to fight me. Literally, he wanted to fight me, screaming, you know, you're a rat, you're a rat, you're a fucking rat. You know, rats need to be stomped out. So I said, all right, motherfucker, come on. Come, come stomp me out. Let's see what yeah. happens. Right? Yeah. Now, now I, I ain't six, seven like you, my friend, <laughs> but I tell you something, you know, I, I, I've, I fought enough in my lifetime, especially Muay Thai. I'll take that motherfucker's legs right there, out. There you go. And then I'm going to drop a whole bunch of elbows right in his face. There you go. You know what, man? Like I, you're, so to talk about like when I got the opportunity to testify, I jumped at it. No questions asked. Because I felt like it was a continuation of service and duty to my country um, to be able to tell the facts of that day and give a voice of what at that time we testified June, July, June, around that time about what people were already minimizing that happened that day. 
And I think it was instrumental to keep going and set the record straight on the record. Another thing, but the side note real quick, I've been on the under oath three different times and about the events of that day. So if people want to lie or people want to have other facts, you are more than welcome to get under oath and tell your side of the story instead of claiming the fifth, you know, tell the truth. Okay. You're on the record. If it didn't happen, like we're saying it did, you go on the record under oath and you tell us what happened until then, until your statements are under oath, they don't mean shit to me. My friend, eight times I eight times I gave congressional testimony. Yeah. Eight times. And yet I still have the same haters. Now I don't know whether they're bots or bot farms and so on, but there are plenty that are real. Were, and yeah. they all have a comment that they want to make. Really? You think that I'm holding back? You think that I'm protecting anybody? I have given, like you, I gave the facts and nothing but the facts. By the way, your testimony was, I think, July twenty seventh, if yeah, I'm not mistaken. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. You know, and I, and, and I tell you, and honestly, the fame that comes with it, it's not great. Or, like or I want to go down and see my infamy. parents down in Florida. I'm actually concerned. Yeah. I mean, I'm actually I, concerned I, I get it. because. No, no, no. So yeah, no, I, no, you're right because those people are insane and we saw it. We saw it. Like, look what happened, like I said, on January 6th. We saw it. We saw what they're willing to do to support the former president. Um, so, yeah, that concern is real. Political violence is real. We see it. Like it. No, like I said, no matter who it comes from, whether it's people saying Antifa shouldn't do it or, or the MAGA, nobody should be doing that shit, man. Keep your opinion peaceful. Keep it civil. You know, hell, even if you're calling names and cursing somebody out, whatever, don't put your hands on them. Don't threaten nobody. Everybody deserves to be able to express their opinion, no matter how bizarre it is. You know, and that's <laughs> but let's let's remember that it's just an opinion and it's not the gospel. Yeah, that is very true. I mean, I, I, it was for me. Remember when I testified before the House Oversight Committee nine hours, mm -hmm. nine hours. Yep. And I started out, and I, t and I told you, meaning the country, not you specifically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a racist. He's a con man. He's a fraud. He's a cheat. And I turned out to be right. And then I told you my biggest fear and why I elected to appear without any hesitation when Congressman, God rest his soul, Elijah Cummings. What a great a man. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful great man, man. Great man asked me to do it. And he said to me, you stand on the precipice of the most important issue confronting American democracy today. He goes, and the question becomes, how will you be remembered? How will your children remember you? How will your wife look at you? Man. And he didn't have to say anything more than that. This man had a way with words. He made me fucking cry. I called him up that night and I yelled at him. I said, did you have to make your final closing speech so powerful? You made me fucking cry on television. And he left. He is the, he was, God bless his soul. We need a hundred more Elijah Cummings. Yeah. And you know what? You know what? To that point, the question that you're asking that you, that he, that he said, you know, 
representative, former representative Adam Kensinger said something similar to that. He said, my, my, my kid, my children are going to be proud to have my last name. And you know what? Like you said, doing what's right is more than just about a moment. It's, it's how you should live your life. Just do what's right. Like without any hesitation, without any question. It, that's the thing. Morals aren't universal, but goddamn, I wish they were, man. Yeah. Wouldn't that be something, right? Yeah. Now, let me then ask you this. As you look at what's happening now in the House with Kevin McCarthy, you know, giving so much power to the MAGA extremists in the party and praising Trump for helping his effort to get the gavel. You think that Republicans have learned anything since the insurrection? You know, one thing that I'll, I'll say with the, uh, it was supposed to be this, you know, all the political pundits, hell, even members of Congress, Fox News, whatever, all the conservative sites were saying there was supposed to be this huge red wave. Um, and it wasn't. It wasn't, um, which is which was historic, by the way. You know, any incumbent, you know, uh, president mid who's two years in the midterm elections during the presidency have always gone the way of the way of the uh, party that's not in power. But you know, this did, but it was minuscule, and um, I think that sent a message. But uh, I mean, even look, 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 look on January sixth uh, at the Capitol, they did a a moment of remembrance, a moment of silence for on January 6th. And only one Republican congressman showed up. And the year before, Liz Cheney was the only Republican along with her father. And it shouldn't be a Democrat or Republican thing. Sure, may, a lot of people may argue that the January 6th committee is politicized, whatever, you can have your opinion about that. But when it comes to a moment to pay your respects to fallen officers or the the, the hurt and the division that that day will forever have in the history that, that the lasting effect that it has um that that, that kind of hurt my heart just as an American citizen not even just as a police officer but just the fact for a moment of silence we can't all stand together and honor the, the, the memory of what, it, what those people that day like it, 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 that that shit hurt my heart, like as an American, um, you know, I, it, that that shit sucked. One, one, like, come on, this shit. Yeah, the causes of January sixth may have been political, and you know, the investigations may have been political, but it happened. It happened. Period. And and we need to be able to acknowledge that and pay homage to the people that. <laughs> What's so ironic, what's so ironic about the whole, the votes for the speaker on January 6th, when it was happening, that's what we fought for, for them to have the right to do that shit, you know? And that's, that's what's so frustrating, man. We gave, we fought our asses off so democracy could continue. No matter if it's Kevin McCarthy, Pelosi, it doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter. I don't care who it is. The fact that that process still exists is a is a direct re, uh, result of what me and my coworkers did that day. It happened. It exists now. Imagine if they got in there and hung Mike Pence like they wanted to do, and to kill Nancy Pelosi, which they said they wanted to do. What if that shit actually happened? Do you think that the what what would the, what would the, what would those votes for Speaker look like 
two years ago. Two years from now. Harry. <laughs> yeah, okay. Totally agree with you. It's beyond. Could you imagine, and I brought this up a couple of times before, but could you imagine if this is how divided this country really actually is? If the insurrectionists were all black, could you imagine Man. what would have happened? You talked about some blood that was on the concrete. Could you imagine the force that would have come out in order to stop this? You know what? So yeah. I bring that up. I bring that up because it's so it fucking hits me right to the core yeah. where this is not the America that we were strive that we strive to be. This isn't the America that we were growing to be. And if we don't start growing up, as you use the word, maturing, we're really going to be in big trouble. Yeah. Really big trouble. Think about this shit. Donald Trump, when the, the, the dude wanted a photo op, and he had the fucking, the, that, I don't know, the, they, they used for, for, uh, a photo op, but he wouldn't, he wouldn't direct the National Guard to send an attack, to stop an attack on the U.S. Capitol, where they wanted to kill Mike Pence. But but you're going to use all this force for a photo op. You're not even in danger at the moment. And you can save it for another time. Give me a break, yeah. dude. And let, which brings me to my next question to you. So what happens if there's no accountability for the insurrection by any of the people in, that are in power? Because we've seen plenty of these foot soldiers, these low-level nut you know, fucking nut job, numbskulls, going to jail and so on, but not a single member of Congress, not a single person in Trump's inner circle that were there and responsible have seen any accountability so far. So if none of the people responsible for January 6th are brought to justice, you think that something like the insurrection could or will happen again? <laughs> if there's no accountability, I... Tell your listeners and the rest of the world to get used to my face and get used to my voice because I'm not shutting up until there is accountability. I will play, I don't necessarily know if it's devil's advocate here, but Merrick Garland came to see us. Uh, and when I say us, I mean Capitol Police officers who were there on January 6th um, in the following days. I, you know, time was a blur during that time. So I don't know if it was a week, a month. But he came to see us afterwards and he told us they would get to the bottom of it and they would seek out accountability and justice. And he said that to us. And I believe him. Um, he looked us in the face. He looked us in the eyes and he told us that. And I believe him. Um, I don't know the timetable of what it charge, what it what it takes to charge for an insurrection. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not a historian. I'm not a legal scholar. I don't pretend to be. But like I said, it. On January 7th, if I was the attorney general, I would have brought charges that day because they told us they told us why they were there. Um, but there can no and that, that brings me to my point. You can't move on from if you don't correct what's happened. And yes, there's nothing to say that this shit won't happen again. People say, well, what can you do to prevent it? We have so many safeguards. It doesn't matter what safeguards you have in place, like the Electoral College Act and you know all that stuff. That was, that's cool. But all these safeguards don't mean anything if the person that is in power is going to circumvent those safeguards. Like Trump, 
was going to install his own attorney general to circumvent ways to get him to remain president. Like it doesn't, but, but thankful for the, the, the courage of the people that did stand up to keep that shit from happening. It takes good people to stop. It doesn't matter what safeguards you have in place. It doesn't matter if the person is willing to circumvent that shit. It doesn't fucking Harry, do you remember? Do you remember when I emphatically stated that the reason I'm here today testifying is my biggest fear is if Donald Trump yep. loses the election, yep. there will never be a peaceful transfer of power. Yep. And I believed it then. I believe it now. Every There was more. I also talked about his inflation of his assets, deflation for tax purpose. You saw today he just got nailed for 1.6 by the judge uh, in the attorney general's case, his company, 17 counts by the district attorney, Alvin Bragg, and so on. Like I said- Death by a thousand cuts. You know what's crazy? But we're about the Trump my- thing real quick. Real quick. You know, he got fined 1.6 <laughs> million. So I'm sure we're going to see a fucking fundraiser for him coming out soon. It's coming. Oh, did it, is it already out? Is it already? <laughs> I'm not surprised. I'm not fucking surprised, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine? So look, I want to ask you this now because I know that you've written a memoir that's entitled A Capital Police Officer's Fight for Accountability and Good Trouble. Now, I assume by good trouble that you're referencing the late Congressman John Lewis, yeah. another another beacon of yeah. you know of American you know uh, diplomacy and and civil rights and so on. So if you would tell my listeners about the book, and do you think that you'd have written this book if it hadn't been for the events of January sixth? You know. I, I- I'm not going to get into it. The release date is October, so I'll I'll keep y'all on edge a little bit. But what I will say is that the definitely, uh, it was homage to John Lewis. Um, One of the things that I contemplated while deciding to keep this public, once I started getting attacked by right-wing media, um, getting death threats, and I, 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 back up. One of the one of the most memorable images in my head from January 6th was once a little bit of order has been restored and most of the rioters were out of the building. I remember walking by Steny Hoyer's office. And Steny Hoyer, the majority leader at the time, had a, a his American flag out there, a state of Maryland flag, and it was a a, a, a big sign almost like a cardboard uh but it was like fancy card. i don't forget um, the name of that materials slipping my mind but it had the picture of john lewis and his quote about the good trouble quote and it was ripped into shreds it was shredded like ripped into tiny pieces and this is a big ass piece of paper or excuse me a big ass cardboard big ass sign and they took the time the rioters to destroy it and one thing i thought like you know, John Lewis, I'm sure he faced things that I can't even imagine. And if he did all that for us, just for equal rights, why should I be afraid just to stand up to a couple of right wing nut jobs to attack me? Of course I can stand up. So it was actually like a, a little way of paying homage to um, the late, great John Lewis. Um do you remember? Do you remember which quote? Because he has quite a few pretty. Um, when, you know. when you see something, 
to stand up again, get into trouble, good trouble, push back, with the push back, get into, I don't know the quote by heart, but I do have, it's funny, I have the words, I have good trouble tattooed on my arm. There you go. I think what you're referring to is when you see something that is not right, not fair, not just, you have to speak up. You have to say something. You have to do something. May a couple. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, look, Harry, as the hour comes to an end, and as I told you when we were just chatting offline, the hour goes by real quick. Yeah, it does, man. We could do this. I have forever. one last. I have one. We could do this forever is right. I have just one last question for you. So, And again, before I ask it, I just like to, again, congratulate you on receiving that Presidential Citizens Medal. You truly, truly deserve it. Thank you. Can you, t- can you tell us about that day and about any of the good things that have come out of January 6th? I suspect that a therapist would tell you that you need to, you know, there's a book which is called Man's uh, Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And that's one of the things that you're supposed to do, which is to look to the light, look to something good that comes out of tragedy. And Viktor Frankl was a Holocaust survivor in, um, in Auschwitz. And he took out of that experience something good, which again, I'm not really sure I understand it. I'm certainly not there, yeah, yeah. but assuming, assuming that there have been some good things, because one great thing from my perspective is that you didn't fold and that you've proven yourself to be a real American hero. And you should really be proud of that. And I'm sure your family are really proud of you. You know, tell me about that. Thanks for bringing that up. That's a great question, man. I tell you what, um, January 6th will forever be associated with one of the darkest days of American history. However, I'm, I'm so grateful to President Biden that on January 6th, 2023, two years after the, the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol, he presented us with us medal. And I'll tell you, it created a new memory for January 6th. Now, the January 6th, 2021 doesn't go away. However, I can't acknowledge January 6th anymore without remembering that's the day that I was awarded the, the nation's second highest civilian award. And I'm completely honored, grateful, humbled uh, by it. My family was there. My mother, my father, my sisters, my daughter was there at the White House to see me receive that award. There was a text thread that went out today because it was a week ago today when we got the award. It was a text thread. My, my mother said, just think a week ago, we were in the White House watching our son, you know, and that's just the pride that my family have. That's just, you can't take that away uh, from January 6th will be associated, yes, with one of the darkest days, but also one of the proudest moments of my life. So I'm appreciative of the president for honoring me and the other recipients in that way, which um, I'm sure, just like I said, it created a new memory and um, I'm thankful for it. You know, one of the one of the interesting things about Joe Biden is something that everybody, Republican, Democrat, independent alike, will all acknowledge is he's an incredibly empathetic person. And so you could rest assured that when he gave you that medal to honor you, that was real. That wasn't a photo op. 
And again, for that, you should be incredibly, incredibly proud of yourself for what you did, for standing up for democracy, for protecting our capital, the people's home, the symbol of American democracy. I, I think you're a true American hero, you and all of the Capitol Police, everybody that puts on the uniform every day, I find them to be, you know, um, our American heroes and our teachers too, by the way. I got to throw them in and our nurses. Love the teachers, man. I got a ton, I got a ton of friends that are teachers. Yeah. So I, look, I, I wish you all the best. Um, stay in touch. When you're here in New York, look me up. Hit me up because um, we have to have a celebratory drink. How's that? Yes, let's do it, man. I would love that. I love that opportunity, man. And thank and thank you, man. You know, you, you know, I, 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 I don't think that gets enough credit. Like in in this day and age, just speaking out and doing, saying the truth has become such a lost art, so to speak. Like nobody really does it. And you know, good for you for doing that. And you know, standing up for what's right. All right then for don't you. forget about me. Make sure you tell, and you make sure. I got you. Good, and you make you. sure you tell Joe that, you. okay? I got you, man. I got you. <laughs> Thank you, my friend. Yeah, thanks, man. <laughs> All righty. You be safe. Thanks, bro. I'll speak to you soon. Yeah, man. Later, bro. And now for today's mea culpa. It wouldn't be much of an honor to share a holiday without Robert E. Lee, the Southern general who tried to lead the South to secession from the Union during the Civil War. Historically, he wasn't a great guy. He probably wouldn't be your hero unless you're a racist who wishes the South had won the Civil War and kept slavery. And yet, he gets to have a national holiday almost all to himself. Martin Luther King Day in both Alabama and Mississippi is also Robert E. Lee Day. And I repeat, in Alabama and Mississippi, King is forced to share his holiday with Lee. It reminds me of the nutjobs that insist we teach creationism alongside evolution in school. Now one is not like the other. One is dangerous fiction and the other is science. So let me be crystal fucking clear. Lee is no hero. In fact, he's a fucking insurrectionist and maybe a harbinger of things to come. But Martin Luther King, he is the real thing. He is a hero who gave his life for the cause of racial equality. There are few who have done more for the United States than Martin Luther King Jr. And few have done more to destroy it than Robert E. Lee. And yet here they are sharing a holiday, giving white Southern racists in those two states something to celebrate. I mean, I guess. But what the fuck? This is the year 2023. Why does such an abomination even still exist? Well, let me tell you, for the same fucking reason that the MAGA movement is still a thing. That right-wing Republicans would like to erase the achievements of the civil rights movement. And while they're at it, stoke the flames of anti-Semitism. The purpose of white Christian nationalism is to marginalize anyone who isn't white and or Christian. It's like saying, if you're not like us, you're not real Americans. A bunch of Charlottesville frat boys chanting, Jews will not replace us, outed themselves as the latest in the long line of American bigots. When anyone points fingers at George Soros and the quote, elites, it's really just a dog whistle. It's a stupid way of saying they're out to get us. 
During the midterms, Kevin McCarthy posted, and then of course later deleted, realizing it was fucking dumb, a tweet charging that George Soros and two other billionaires of Jewish descent were seeking to buy the election. I mean, that fucker is Speaker of the House. He then turned around and pledged to strip Ilhan Omar of her House Foreign Affairs Committee seat, accusing her of being anti-Semitic. Omar's issues with Israel have absolutely nothing to do with American politics or anti-Semitism. It's just political mumbo-jumbo that could easily get Omar killed. It's her opinion, and she's entitled to it. I don't agree with it, but she's entitled to it. But Kevin doesn't care. He's just playing to the base. Even McCarthy's inability to call out George Santos for falsely claiming he's Jewish in a weirdly anti-Semitic rant. I mean, rather than educating their people on how dangerous anti-Semitic tropes are, GOP bigwigs embrace them. Republican conference chair, the ever-charming Elise Stefanik, has been running around promoting the ridiculously anti-Semitic Great Replacement Theory. Jennifer Rubin wrote a great piece about this in the Washington Post, and to quote her, and here it is, much of the rhetoric coming from the MAGA movement, and specifically its leader, Donald Trump, is meant to demonize Jewish Americans. So how can you build up America while tearing its Jewish population down? And how can we celebrate the achievements of Dr. Martin Luther King while advancing the myth that General Lee was somehow some great American hero? Well, the answer is, you can't. One is not like the other, and we need to keep calling out the injustice of racism and anti-Semitism wherever and whenever we see it. America is simply better than that, and we need to ensure that America becomes better than that. And as always, thanks for listening. Mea Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media, written by Jimmy Jelinek and Paula Killen. Our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustad, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, I promise you, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Maya Culpa, nothing but the truth. Thank <sighs> you.